eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. This is Faraz Siddiqui. I'm here with Zach Rizzuto. In this episode, we are going to go over our sleepers. Now, what do we mean by sleepers? It seems like everybody has a different definition of what a sleeper is. What we're using for this episode is guys who are going relatively late that not too many people are hyped on. Otherwise, they'll be going earlier. So, you know, we're kind of using a general range of like after the 10th round, 11th round-ish, uh, and more so guys who are just like going like right at the end of drafts. Those are the kind of guys that we're focusing on for the most part. Um, but first, we're going to get into the rapid recap. Take it away, Zach. So Broncos head coach Nathaniel Hackett says that they're putting Albert Okawabenam, quote unquote, all over the place in their offense in relief of Tim Patrick following his season ending injury. What is Albert O's ceiling in this Broncos offense in 2022? Could a top 10 finish be on the way? Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think, especially with the Tim Patrick injury, you know, what we talked about before, like last week when Tim Patrick got hurt, was that this is going to be a pretty top-heavy target distribution between Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. Uh, but Albert O is right there as as that potential third option after those guys. Um, and I'm not really looking at Russell Wilson's, you know, prior usage of tight ends. I, I don't think that's necessarily like a sticky uh, metric to look at in terms of like who's going to get targeted. Um, right. I do look at the system. I do look at the words by the head coach. Uh, and I do look at the fact that Albert O is one of the most athletic tight ends in the league. They moved Noah Fant. Um, and now it's very possible that he's running a route on 100% or, you know, close to 100% um, of dropbacks. So those are the things that I'm looking at, right? And if a tight end is is running that many routes on an offense that's supposed to be pretty good and can potentially be a red zone target, yeah, he's somebody that we should be targeting as a late round tight end who can easily make his way into the top ten. And I wouldn't be surprised if it is if it does end up top six, top seven, top eight finish. Listen, if Dalton Schultz could do it, Albert O can do it. I see. So throwing shots at my boy Dalton Schultz. Anyway. I agree. <laughs> targets in the Broncos offense, they're definitely likely to be less distributed without Tim Patrick. Albert Okwebenom is a guy that I've kind of had pinned to take on that displaced workload since Tim Patrick went down. He's an athletic tight end. He's as athletic as you'll find, I think, in the NFL, but he's just been buried behind the depth chart, uh, behind Noah Fant during his time in Denver. This could very easily be a breakout situation for Albert O, especially with Russell Wilson throwing him the ball. I think this will be the best quarterback that he's had in his career so far. 
And um, he's one of my favorite late tight end targets. I took him in that one mock draft we did the other day. The other day. I, I think I took him a little high, but I was okay with reaching on him because the situation, I think, just got a lot better. Now, obviously, we don't want to you know, say that the situation got better because someone got hurt. But Tim Patrick goes down. It definitely opens up a lot of volume for Albert Okawebanam. Uh, it sounds like he'll almost be used as a replacement for Tim Patrick as opposed to just a traditional hand-in-the-dirt tight end. I think that they have designs to use him. Maybe even I think we could see him out of the slot just because of how athletic he is. I could totally see that. I mean, KJ Hamler, you know, he's still, you know, he still has a brace on, right? He's not running at 100% right now. Obviously, he's somebody that could, you know, man the slot. He can man the flanker. Uh, but in terms of that tight end who could potentially, like you said, be on the field for every play, uh, even out of the slot. Listen, if his head coach is saying it, if he's going to be the play caller as well. Uh, I think it's definitely possible that that happens, uh, especially, you know, while KJ Hamler, you know, is returning to that 100% mark. So another report, Eno Benjamin seems to be catching the eye of a few people at Cardinals camp, with head coach Cliff Kingsbury noting that he's been, quote-unquote, really impressed with Benjamin so far. Could Eno Benjamin possibly step into a role like Chase Edmonds had in 2021, or does that belong to Daryl Williams? And does this report change anything about the way that you view James Conner? I think I am less high on James Conner now than I was, and not because of this particular report, um, but just you know, just kind of looking at how these roles can shape up. Um, You know, I love James Conner in the third still. I think I'm still going to have James Conner in my top 10 in terms of, you know, uh, uh, running back rankings. Um, And I don't think that, you know, Benjamin is going to take Chase Edmonds role last year because what Chase Edmonds role last year was, was he was, Chase Edmonds was actually the one A in this backfield, you know, and James Conner was the one B and kind of that goal line guy who would play only on early downs. Um, But I do think that, James Conner is going to be the 1A in this offense. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, you know, Benjamin could potentially play a role that play the role that Chase Edmonds was playing in 2020 when he was the 1B, 1B to Kenyon Drake, right? Kenyon Drake was playing that early down role. Uh, and I think that's the role that, that um, James Conner is going to play uh, this year. Now, there is a possibility that, you know, Benjamin is on the field for, for a two-minute offense, uh, you know, for for the rest of the hurry up, potential third longs, that sort of thing, that will hurt James Conner just a little bit. And I do think it's very possible that Benjamin plays that role. But Conner, I think, had like 39 targets last year. And I think 35 of them came on early downs. So, you know, James right. Conner is still going to be running a lot of routes on early downs. And in his catch percentage was the highest in the league among all running backs uh, with those type of target numbers. He was very efficient, you know, in the passing game as well. So I don't think that's going to go away. Uh, he was averaging five catches per game without Edmonds last year. So, you know, I, and by the way, like I know one of the major arguments, you know, against James Conner is that, hey, he's not going to score that many touchdowns again. And I totally get it. But the problem is that we cannot label him touchdown dependent just because he scored a lot of touchdowns. If he's caught you five, if he caught five passes a game, and we're, and we're going to expect something similar next year, by definition, he's not touchdown dependent because he's getting twenty plus touches a game, including five catches per game. So that 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 his floor uh, is high, um, and any touchdowns on top of that is just gravy, right? And he's going to score a bunch right. of touchdowns, right? Like Kenyon Drake. If you, if you guys remember, he scored a ton of touchdowns in 2020 also. Like, this offense, the running backs are going to score touchdowns. So, uh, I wouldn't assume that he won't. But, yeah, he, he might not hit 18. But, you know, he, he's going to be fine. 
Uh, but yes, I do think that you know Benjamin can play a role here. I'm not worried about Dow Williams playing that third down role. Uh, I, I don't think he's like immensely talented, but I do think that Dow Williams, you know, can be very fantasy relevant. Um, if James Conner were to go down with an injury, potentially taking over that role, uh, you know, from him, and it's possible Benjamin also, if, if they're very impressed with Benjamin too, Dale Williams might, might not be that one for one handcuff that a lot of people, including myself, you know, potentially thought that he could be, you know, in later rounds. So I'm, I, I'm kind of avoiding Dale Williams at this point. Right. I, I agree with everything that you just said. I think that, you know, just kind of piggybacking off of what you said with whether an injury would happen or not. If James Conner would go down, maybe it would be Daryl Williams. If Daryl Williams would go down, maybe Eno Benjamin would kind of fill in. You know, I would actually move him up a little bit. He might be worth um, taking a look at in a really serious pinch, bind. If you don't have anyone to throw in your flex, um, that's just one thing. I mean, if we're talking about Eno Benjamin. as a, When we talk about Eno Benjamin versus, like, James Conner, will James Conner really be feeling any heat from Eno Benjamin getting any workload? I don't think so. I'm not terribly worried about this report at all. Uh, I'm sure James Conner haters will try to skew this to some way to uh, suggest that, you know, Benjamin's going to get a large enough workload to make Conner's ADP too rich. But at the end of the day, I think the Cardinals are happy having acquired Daryl Williams to back up James Conner. I don't think, you know, Benjamin's going to be much of a factor. Um, as we get closer to the season, I just advise not getting caught up in reports like this. Um, Conner's a clear number one, and I think he'll be utilized as such. I don't think that my views on James Conner are changing at all unless something would happen, yeah. you know, much more drastic. Yep. All right, so the next report, we're going back into the Deshaun Watson well. Roger Goodell and the NFL are seeking a longer suspension for Deshaun Watson than the six games handed down already, making an already murky outlook for Watson even murkier. Given the uncertainty surrounding his potential punishment, would it make sense to just avoid Deshaun Watson altogether for 2022? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't drafting him anyway in redraft uh, just because of the fact that if he does get suspended, even for six games, if it goes back to that suspension, you're going to have to hold him on your bench for six weeks. So I wasn't doing that in the first place. He was already right. in a void for me. Uh, I think it really comes down to like guys like Amari Cooper and David Njoku, right? Like, How do you handle those guys, right? You know, you could potentially get Amari Cooper at a serious value right now. Um, mm -hmm. And at least with him, it's like he's going to play, right? It is possible that he is a top 24 wide receiver, even without Deshaun Watson, right? He's not going to have the same upside that he does. He's going to have his weeks. So, you know, it might be worth taking him, right? And then if Deshaun Watson ends up playing this year, you know, 12, 13 games, whatever it is, then you just got yourself a massive value in Amari Cooper, who could potentially be a top 15 wide receiver with Deshaun. Um, you could do that. I might not, just because a lot of the other wide receivers going around that range, that are more short things, potentially have a similar... Uh, you know, profile in terms of upside to Amari Cooper. So I might not do that. But, you know, it really comes down to those guys, you know, rather than, you know, where does Deshaun Watson fall in my rankings or, or whether I, you know, pick him up this season to be my fantasy quarterback. Right. I think that I would also just consider avoiding Deshaun Watson altogether. Um, the legal fight doesn't really have any chance to be resolved in a timely manner. At least I don't think it looks like it does. And if you're drafting today, I, I wouldn't even think about drafting Deshaun Watson. Now, if you've already drafted and maybe you drafted Watson hoping that, you know, the six games would stay, I mean, maybe I would consider holding on to him until we know for sure what the suspension is going to look like. We're still a few weeks out from the season. You can hold him and you'll be okay. But um, on the off chance of that the suspension remains at six games, you'll have your QB1 locked up. 
for when he comes back. Otherwise, you know, I'm just keeping my hands off of Deshaun Watson and I'm approaching drafts as if he isn't even on the board and as if it there isn't even a chance that he plays. I think that's a better way to do it. And there are plenty of other quarterbacks that come with much less headache, even going in the range that he's going at with the suspension on the table. Like, I'd honestly take a shot, rather take a shot on Zach Wilson than um, Deshaun Watson at this point, just because we know Zach Wilson's going to play. So, yeah, right. I don't think it makes much sense to target him as things stand right now. Yeah, I love taking, I love having guys on my bench that have a chance of doing something in, in any given particular week where their value just increase and they're on your team. Right, like nothing is going to happen to Deshaun. If Deshaun Watson does get suspended, let's say it's six games, nothing can happen mm-hmm. week two that will increase Deshaun Watson's value outside of him only having four games left in the suspension. Now, right. if Zach Wilson, you drafted Zach Wilson and he balls out week one, week two, everyone's like, oh, Zach Wilson just took a step forward. His value just went up immensely, and now you have him on your team already. Right, absolutely. And and like you said, you know, you'd rather have a guy that has a chance to appreciate on your bench. Um, I like to have guys that just play. You know what I'm saying? That helps the most. <laughs> yeah, I no, I get that. Yep. Just guys that are going to get on the field. All right. 100%. And then our our last report coming out from our rapid recap. Mark Kabali of The Athletic reports that Najee Harris could see his workload lightened in 2022 relative to his 2021 workload, something along the lines of seven snaps per game less than last season. Is there any reason to be concerned by this potential cutback in workload for Harris, or is this something that you're okay with? That is a super specific number right there. Like, right. What, what was it? Seven snaps per game? Said, is that what it was? Uh, it was estimate like seven snaps per game. That's what the report said. But that's just an estimate. I mean, Interesting. it could be anything. So what is seven times 17? I'm just curious if they had a number. That's 119. So maybe 120. So maybe they were thinking like, all right, we'll reduce his snap count by 120 snaps this mm-hmm. year and then divide it by 17 and then something like that, maybe. I don't right. know. But that's just well, a, Najee a Harris number. also did lead the – he led the league running backs, at least, in snaps per game Yeah. So as a rookie. So this right. could, I think, be a welcome change for him. But I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, listen, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you're going from like 95% of snaps to like – 80% of snaps, 75% of snaps, even like even in 75% of snaps, the chances are that he's going to be top three in snap percentage. Mm-hmm. Still going to happen. Right. Right. So, you know, Najee's going to be extremely safe. Now, I'll say this though. Okay. The floor for Najee Harris is not Najee Harris last year. Okay. Um, yeah. The floor for Najee Harris is David Montgomery last year. Okay. David Montgomery, similar type of role. Okay. 70% of snaps, 75% of snaps, every down back, didn't have a huge ceiling, but was on the field for every play, bad offense. That is his floor right now. Okay, so just want to kind of, that's, that's the, one of I the reasons why right. I'm not targeting Najee Harris in the first round, uh, because last year he had one of the highest workloads of all time, but, you know, still didn't finish, like, ridiculously high, right? Um, yeah. He obviously, you know, was very consistent every single week. But, you know, as far as upside goes, if you're chasing that upside, Najee Harris wouldn't be the pick for me. Um, but in terms of this report right here, like, yeah, sure. Like, if his snaps get reduced, you know, he's still going to be top three, top four, you know, top five maybe, you know, in snap percentage. Um, and I'm not, I'm not worried about it at all. Because, like, the delta between him and the next guy uh, on that roster is really, really high. <laughs> so, like, right. I, I don't think that is going to be a big deal. Uh, for him to just miss a few snaps. 
Yeah, I, that's exactly my notes. That last point, especially, like I said, like Benny Snell is so far from uh, Najee Harris's skill set. Like, we don't have yeah. to worry about anyone coming up the depth chart behind him and you know stealing any work. Um, I'm not concerned no. about Najee Harris having his workload cut back a bit. Um, he was relatively inefficient with the ball in his hands on the ground. I think it was the 74 receptions on 94 targets last year that really kept him afloat and propelled him to his RB3 finish last year. Um, like I said, he led all running backs in snap share and snaps per game. Um, I think they're just going to be pulling him off the field, really, on downs where you know maybe he didn't need to be on the field last year and yeah. a passing right. down. Like, you know, it'll register as a snap that he was on the field, but he didn't actually do anything besides, you know, pick up a block. Um, I think that's yeah. kind of where most of those touches and most of those snaps, not touches, yeah, most of those snaps are going to come from this year that they take him off the field. Um, I think his projection, in my mind, is exactly the same as it was even before this report. I'm not worried about it because he was used so much. Take a little bit off of that. He's still, you know, so much. He gets so much volume anyway. Um, I'd be concerned right. if there's a guy like Kareem Hunt or Tony Pollard behind him, but like I said, there's not. So I think even they get him off the field for those snaps, you know, it, it might actually make him more efficient. He might be a little bit better rested, you know, and I don't want to speculate on him getting yeah. more efficient, but it, it could be, you know, like we'll just have to see how, how it goes. All right. So we're going to jump into the actual segment that we're talking about today, into the sleepers that we picked. I picked a few for as you picked a few. Do you, if you want to get started, you could start with your first sleeper. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, let's start with Isaiah McKenzie. So McKenzie, you know, he is getting some hype in camp, right? So if you're paying attention, he might not be as much of a sleeper, but he is still close to being undrafted right now, okay? Uh, he's the favorite to win the slot job out of camp in Buffalo. Uh, listen, Cole Beasley has given us PPR wide receiver one weeks before, right? And McKenzie gave us one last year, like in the only game that he was a full-time player for. Uh, he didn't see more than 32% of snaps in any other game last year, and he is now listed as the starting slot receiver on the Bills' first depth chart that was released this past Monday. So, And Sean McDermott did acknowledge that McKenzie can step into a full-time role, uh, and he's the guy that Josh Allen seems to be connecting with the most in terms of you know these guys co- you know competing for that slot job. You know, in terms of him, Jameson Crowder, uh, you know, and um, and. Um, my my favorite rookie, Khalil Shakir, right? Like those yeah, are the right. three guys kind of competing for that slot job. But it seems to me as of right now, McKenzie is the guy. So I think he's worth chasing with your last pick in your draft. Yeah, I think with the last pick in your draft, I think he's an okay pick. And I, I don't want to, you know, unhype your sleeper, you know. But um, I, I look at the Bills offense and, you know, Josh Allen, he's going to be throwing to – Stephon Diggs, he's going to be throwing to Gabe Davis. He's going to be throwing to Dawson Knox. Maybe even James Cook out of the backfield, you know. I think there's a lot there. I think that Isaiah McKenzie definitely has the opportunity, you know, to step into that. If he's having a good camp, you know, he could be a clear wide receiver three. Maybe step into that Cole Beasley role. And if he does, you know, that would be great. Cole Beasley, if you remember, was hyper-targeted last year in like three or four games where he just went like inexplicably 14 targets and like 10 receptions. He was a PPR monster. Um if Isaiah McKenzie can step into that, yes, I love that in the last round of the draft. But, you know, I, I think there are other sleepers that I would target. I mean, I, you know, I have one that I would go after. I think it's set up a little bit better for volume. But um, Go for I, it. I, yeah. And he's also in the uh, same division as the Bills, if you're going to stay in the same division. And my guy's Jacoby Myers. And I think that he's easily one of my favorite targets late in drafts a solid flex option with an easy path of wide receiver two production if the cards fall his way. 
Uh, this is a guy that quietly saw 126 targets last year. Like He hauled in 83, and he only had two touchdowns. Now, we know Jacoby Myers has his, problem getting touch- has his problems getting touchdowns in his career. He has two, I think, in his whole career. Um, all the reports out of the Patriots camp have been that Mac Jones looks better. I mean, we know um, Bill Belichick was falling over him a little bit. We talked about that a couple episodes ago. Um, the Patriots did sign Devontae Parker and draft Tyquan Thornton, but I think Myers is still by far their best overall pass catcher and the most dynamic with the ball in his hands. Um, he's someone that I don't think is going to suffer from fluctuating snap share like maybe Tyquan Thornton would or Devontae Parker. I feel like they're definitely um, just role guys. They'll be in on a couple snaps. Devontae Parker might be in there for um, you know a, a few uh, red zone opportunities, but I think Jacoby Myers will get the majority of the main targets. I love his price. You know, I just drafted him in the last round of one of my drafts. And any step forward by Mac Jones will only make the pick even better. I'm with you on this one, man. Um, 23% target share each of the last two years. Uh, that stuff, that type of stuff is sticky, man. You know what I mean? He could be, a, you know, poor man's Jarvis Landry, right? Um, right. Just one that didn't <laughs> score a lot of touchdowns. So uh, that's a great pick. I think Jacoby Myers, when you target guys who have historically have shown to be, you know, Guys who get targeted, you know, they earn those targets, okay? And and just because they brought in Devontae Parker, just because they brought in uh, Thornton, like, it doesn't mean that, like, he's going to go away. Guys like him tend to, you know, continue to get targets. And he's going into his, what, fourth year now? So I, yeah. I think that there's a good chance that he continues doing that. If you can get a high, tar- you can get a high target share guy late, why not? Yeah, he's pretty much, you know, the de facto wide receiver one in New England. But we know New England isn't notorious for, you know, fantasy production these last few years but you know in in the last round of draft i I dipped my toes in here yeah so another guy that i have jahan dotson jahan dotson has been quietly lighting it up in camp and i feel like nobody cares about this (laughs) it seems to me like you know he has the inside track to being second in targets on this team behind Tariq mclaurin potentially uh potentially ahead of curtis samuel uh potentially ahead of jd mckissick um, so, and that pains me to say, because like, I've been rooting for Samuel for a few years now. Like I've been rooting for him. I've been hoping that he could make his way back because he, you know, he's a good receiver. Uh, but Jahan Dotson has apparently been killing it in camp. And some people have been saying that he's been looking like the best receiver in camp. And by the way, they have Terry McLaurin. Okay. Right. So he's going right off the board right now at the end of the 12th round, beginning of the 13th round. Uh, his upside is way higher than we think. Uh, I wasn't really high on Dotson coming into the league, but you know Matt Harmon, who is you know the wide receiver guru, right? He was very high on him coming into the league. Um, you know he comped him to Doug Baldwin, and you know he thought that his QB at Penn State held him back in a big way. Uh, and then Washington takes him in the first round, and now apparently he's balling in camp. So I, I know it doesn't seem like a sexy pick because you know can Carson Wentz make two wide receivers very fantasy relevant, but. I think it's very possible that it can happen. And it seems like Wentz has a real rapport with him so far in camp. Those are, those are the reports. So, um, you know, before last season, by the way, you know, Wentz was targeting the slot like crazy, you know, throughout his career. Um, he just didn't have a slot wide receiver to throw to last year, right? Um, right? Now, in camp, Curtis Samuel has been rotating in the slot a little bit. But to me, it seems like Samuel will likely play the Z, that flanker role, and Dotson will play the slot, uh, you know, given how good – Dotson is at beating zone coverage according to Matt Harmon's reception perception. So don't be surprised. Listen, don't be surprised if, you know, if he actually turns into a legit you know, fantasy, fantasy impact player in year one. Also, don't be surprised 
if Sam Howell starts some games this year when Carson Wentz shits the bet. Okay. Right. Uh, no, and by I'm the way, that that would that would be that would be a good thing. By the way, if that happens. <laughs> right. No, I, I'm with you on Jahan Dotson. I mean, when he came out, I thought he was just one of the more solid receivers. You know, he's not like a flashy solid. receiver, That's like a good you word said. For him. He's not Drake London jumping up and catching 50-50 balls, and he's not Garrett Wilson, you know, wowing you with route running savvy, that kind of stuff. This is just yeah. a solid receiver. Like I see him, and I was kind of upset. Because, you know, he went to Washington, and as a Cowboys fan, I'm gonna, now they're going to be seeing him two years, two times a year. But um, I think he's a very good sleeper pick because you're right. He is probably the best, next best receiver behind Terry McLaurin on Washington's offense. I'm not worried about Curtis Samuel. I mean, he's been like, I would consider him removed from football since his days on the Panthers because he's been so banged up during his time in Washington. I mean, I've, it's hard to even say that he's been playing football these past two years. So to say that yeah. he's going to be kind of taking time away from, you know, a fresh rookie that they drafted, by the way, in the first round. So obviously they have designs to use him. I mean, I don't think right. that you can really go wrong, especially with where he's going, because there's been so many reports about saying he catches the ball so naturally. And you're right. Carson Wentz actually, right. I think, was talking him up a little bit. So if there's a connection there, he's going to be looking his way. I mean, we're looking at, I think, potentially a couple wide receiver two weeks, high wide receiver two weeks. I can see it. My next one is also in the NFC East, believe it or not. So two for two going back to back in the same division. So my guy is Wondell Robinson, and he's on the New York Giants, wide receiver. We've all heard about Kadarius Toney. You know, he's the guy. He's a statistical darling, you know, over two yards per route run, that kind of thing. But Wondell Robinson has been tearing it up. He's a guy that's been popping up in training camp these past few weeks. And it sounds like the Giants are all in on deploying him as a significant part of their offense. They just released their first unofficial depth chart. Um, I don't know if you saw it. It was two days ago. And sitting at the top of the depth chart, you know, Kenny Galladay, because they paid him that massive contract, uh, Kadarius Tony and Wondell Robinson as the top three receivers on the depth chart. He's also had a few flashy catches at camp. Giants drafted him in the second round, which was much higher than I know you anticipated him going for us. But um, he's going to be on an offense that's probably going to be playing from behind much of the season. So, you know, he'll be hyper-targeted, I think. He's a bit undersized, so it's difficult to project his role in the offense just yet. But, you know, wide receiver 75 off the board in the 15th round. I like Robinson. He's like a deep, deep sleeper, I think. Because, you know, he is behind Kadarius Tony, But I think he can challenge Kenny Galladay. I mean, especially, it'll make it a lot easier for him, though. Especially if kind of Kenny Galladay doesn't stay healthy, which he hasn't been able to stay healthy recently. So, this is a guy that has definitely a bunch of upside. It'll have to... It'll take a few things falling his way to kind of crack that upside, but I think he absolutely has a chance, and I, I, I'm actually, you know, planning on drafting him a little bit more heading into the season. Yeah, and you know what? He ha- his price has actually got gotten a little more expensive. Uh, not that it is expensive, but he was like my top rostered player in underdog, just because of the fact that he was going in the 18th round, right? In the 18th round, an underdog that's the last round. And he was consistently right. there every time. I thought it was just a no-brainer. <laughs> so, like, if you look at my underdog exposure, Wando Robinson is, like, near the top. Uh, I haven't yeah. drafted him as much lately as his price, you know, kind of increased because I had to take him in, like, the 15th, 16th. Uh, but yeah. even that price is fine. Like, um, I get the intrigue with him. Um, you know, it's funny. Like, bo- both of these guys, uh, him and um, uh, w- what's the dude's name on the Steelers, the other small receiver, uh, rookie wide receiver that 
Calvin Austin, right? Like yeah. both of these guys were comped, you know, similarly, you know, to each other. Calvin Austin was like the better, you know, route runner and that sort of thing. Wanda Robinson was more of a gadget player. But it right. seems to me like, you know, he's doing his thing in camp. And uh, the Giants seem to like these gadget wide receivers. Like, look at Kadarius Tony, you know, potentially evolving into like a real receiver. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I do like it. Like, I, I'm, I am targeting Kadarius Tony a lot more, uh, you know, obviously earlier in drafts. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I understand the intrigue between Wandell, like, he, second round pick. Uh, yes, higher than I thought he would go, but seems to me like he's making plays. So, like, you know, these guys in camp. Uh, if there is a, you know, I think there is a little bit of a, um, I guess we don't necessarily know what that target share is going to look like. It's a little ambiguous, right? right. Um, in terms of like who's going to get the lion's share of the targets. So in these type of situations, like why not take a shot, you know, on that, on that guy super late. Yeah, absolutely. And who's your next guy? Jarvis Landry. Uh, that's an interesting <laughs> you know, I, it's yeah. funny. Like I, I, I mentioned him late, earlier, like, listen. I really like Michael Thomas this year. I really like Chris Olave. But Jarvis Landry has consistently been a high target share player. Literally, he's been like right at 25% in last year, in 2020, in 2019, in 2018, in 2017, in 2016, and in 2015. So, a long time. He's been yeah. at 25% target share or higher. Okay? He's the cheapest of all of these wide receivers. Uh, and I think he's a great consolation prize if you miss out on either of the other two. The other two guys, of course, way more upside, okay? Like Michael Thomas, like potential top 10 wide receiver, okay? That's his upside. Uh, Chris Olave, you know, he can be a, a top 24 wide receiver. He has that type of upside. But if you miss out on those guys, I think Jarvis Landry, like he's going late, okay? I think he's a guy that you can easily draft and you could potentially start him as your wide receiver three, Okay. Uh, right. You know, I, I think this passing offense is going to be pretty good. Uh, and this is the cheapest Landry has ever been, even though he has continually been disrespected every single year in fantasy drafts forever. Um, but I, I would say, like, don't let his presence on a run-heavy offense in Cleveland stop you from believing in, in him, like, what in what should be a, a, a offense based on the pass game in New Orleans. Okay, so I don't think he's washed just yet. He hasn't shown signs of that. Like, he's turning 30 in November. Uh, so right. he's not at that age where we start worrying about these high volume producers. Um, so I think Jarvis Landry, you know, is a, is a good pick um, if you're looking for somebody who can contribute potentially like right away. Right. Now I'm with you. I think that, you know, Jarvis Landry could definitely thrive a little bit while Chris Olave gets his feet underneath him. You know, we, we're not sure how the Saints offense is going to look exactly. I think we do know for sure that the Saints offense could be more pass heavy than the Browns and Jameis Winston is, I think, a better playmaker through the air than Baker Mayfield. And I think that's, you know, pretty safe bet. So, oh, yeah. Michael Thomas has come back. We don't know how Michael Thomas can look either. You know, the reports have been good out of camp. But say Michael Thomas is also getting his feet underneath him to start, you know, coming back from the injury. And Chris Olave is working sure. as a rookie, you know. Like, you're right. This could be Jarvis Landry, you know, leading the way as far as target share goes for the first two, three four weeks you know and he could still keep going you know it's he, possible he could still absolutely have the upside that we're looking for for him to have you know as a sleeper back where he's being drafted in all the way through the season um I, i'm with you on that one i think Jarvis landry is a good pick at least for the value that you could get in return right all right who's okay. your next guy you're not gonna believe this it's from the nfc south <laughs> three for three so Seriously? we have 
Yeah, I have Robbie <laughs> Anderson. Robbie Anderson. So we know how the Baker Mayfield yeah, I, saga. I, I just want to let you know, like, like this was not planned at all. Right. <laughs> like, I just yeah. want to say that right now. <laughs> we're, we're like, just taking we each have our own st- – like like yeah, like we, we didn't have that much time to plan this one, so like we just been going like back and forth, and this has just been a coincidence. Just want to say that. Yeah, we're we're just taking a divisional tour, but um, we know how the <laughs> Baker Mayfield saga works as it relates to Robbie Anderson. But as the season approaches, you know, it's looking more and more like Mayfield's going to be starting Week One, which I think we all anticipated. You know, Sam Darnold. I actually saw a report somewhere that they were looking at shopping him. So um, I think Baker Mayfield is definitely the guy in Carolina for Week One. Absolutely. Um, him starting is good news, only good news for Anderson, despite what he might have said on Twitter. Uh, he's coming off just really a dis- disastrous season in terms of production. I mean, last year, I was expecting more out of him. It, it just didn't come to fruition. He was dropping passes. Like, there were some ugly drops I remember seeing on film that just weren't that good. But, you know, he's working alongside DJ Moore. That should help open up some opportunity for him, just like it would with any other receiver. Uh, he's proven he can be a solid fantasy asset in his career. Uh, he's dealt with some of the worst QB play of any receiver since his rookie season, you know. I mean, from going to Sam Darnold, and then, I mean, I, I don't know if he was there around when Joe Flacco was there, and then back to Sam Darnold, you know. Um, it, it's just been a rough ride for him so far to start the career. But um, that being said, Mayfield, you know, could be the best passer he's had. I think that his current wide receiver 67 price tag, you can't really go wrong, especially if he ends up being a Panthers wide receiver too. Yeah, no, I do like that. I mean, listen, like, he was able to get it done with Teddy Bridgewater. He turned into, like, a possession receiver with Teddy Bridgewater. So, at least, like, he, you know, he showed a little bit of versatility there. Um, the QB situation last year, you know, was just awful, you know. Um, yeah. So, it is, it is possible that, like, you know, we could see a resurgence from him. He is a talented guy. You know, he's one. He was one of the most, the, the better, the best deep threats in the league, right? At one point, so right. um, maybe we see more of that. I, I literally, I think I saw another long bomb that he just caught like yesterday. So yeah. you know, I, it seems it seems like you know Baker's looking for him, and it seems like Robbie's separating. And you know, Robbie said himself, he can't wait for week one. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go for my next guy, man, Paris Campbell. What is new? What's new? <laughs> for us right. what's new I, I know it's tough it's tough to get behind Campbell you know given that he's been hurt pretty much all three seasons he's been in the NFL right. can't stay healthy um, the fact that the coaches are still trying with him says a lot right like Frank Reich loves him right he loved him since the moment that he drafted him um, right and listen I've always liked Campbell like I've hyped him up in the past like but the dude couldn't stop getting hurt like is he made of glass? I don't know. Um, but he is killing it in camp once again. You know, all he has to do is stay healthy, like, for him to have a good season. Like, him and Matt Ryan are showing a legit rapport. Um, and this offense needs a second option. He's the clear second option right now behind Michael Pittman. So, he's pretty much going undrafted. You know, I think he is worth a shot as a flyer if yeah. you want to get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. No, so I know you you've been harping on Paris Campbell, you know, since, you know, the beginning of time. But um I think he absolutely yeah. <laughs> definitely has <laughs> he definitely has the opportunity to really, you know, maybe step into just even a starting role, you know, this year because Matt Ryan I think uh, is going to elevate the offense in a lot of ways that people might not expect just because he's a little bit older doesn't mean that he can't, you know, help the offense 
And I said, if he can be the oil to the offensive engine for the Colts and take a little pressure off of Jonathan Taylor, get it so the passing game's just a little bit more dynamic. You know, Michael Pittman doesn't have to be the guy every play. I mean, Parrish Campbell can be that guy. You know, he just hasn't been able to be on the field. I think one, if I'm hoping he can stay healthy. If he stays healthy, I mean, we'll see what he really is. I think he has the potential to really return on investment, especially at this price, um, if he's going undrafted, you know. But um, as we know, it just remains to be seen. So far, he's not injured yet, I don't think, right? No reports? <laughs> not yet, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Nothing yet, nothing yet. I think he's good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you have another right. guy, or should I go with, with, with the next guy? Uh, I, I got one more. more, right? I got one more. Go you know, it. just kind of scrolling through some uh, ADP right here, and, you know, the one guy catches my eye. Um, I know you were talking about him a little bit, you know, just you and I were talking about it, but Romeo Dubs, or Dubs, if that's how you want to pronounce it. Dubs. Um, yeah, Romeo Dubs with the uh, Packers. He got, he's turning the head of Aaron Rodgers, which I think is, like, huge. Because, you know, I was expecting that guy to be, you know, Christian Watson. Uh, they have Sammy Watkins in Green Bay. But, I mean, I'm, I'm, he might have his, you know, sig- his signature week one pop-off performance, you know. But then Sammy Watkins isn't really much of a factor. I don't think that I don't think he's going to be a huge part of the passing game like Romeo Dubs can be. He's just, I, I know he was, he was kind of, you know, talked up going in the draft. He was kind of a guy that people were like, okay, yeah, we could actually see this guy, you know, making some plays, but he didn't get drafted that way. Um, I'm interested to see how they use him because, you know, the Packers' uh, receiving corps can go any different direction. We're not exactly sure how it's going to work. But if the things go, things go the right way for him, I mean, Alan Lazard, you know, he's there. That's what people are who are who people are expecting to be the wide receiver one. But I'll, I'll, I'll take uh, Romeo Dubs to be a wide receiver too. If he's Aaron Rodgers' wide receiver too, like, can you go wrong? No. I mean, he. I don't think he's going off the board that high. I, I didn't get a chance to look at no, his ADP exactly. He's going, but, he's going very late right now. Uh, I think in most drafts, like, he's not going to go until, like, you know, one of the last rounds, you know, in your draft. Someone might reach just because they've been hearing the hype uh, for an Aaron Rodgers receiver. But I, I, I can see Dubs doing some things. Listen, like, I was at the Senior Bowl, uh, and he did not impress at all. And I, and I was paying attention. Um, you know, he, he played at Rutgers, like right. I live in New Jersey, well, I so. so I was very interested <laughs> and I was, you know, I was like, I was, I was, you know, intrigued, you know, I was rooting for him, but like, I don't know. Yeah. Like he just didn't stand out. The guy who stood out was like Khalil Shakir and Jalen Tolbert and Christian Watson. And those are the guys that stood out, you know? Um, so, you know, <laughs> it's like completely baffling and surprising to me that like he's actually doing his thing in camp and Aaron Rodgers, is possible that he needed a good quarterback to elevate him, right? And he did have his quarterback issues right. at Rutgers, too. So, like, it's possible that that's the case. Um, it's not like the, the quarterback situation at the Senior Bowl was amazing either, right? Like, Sam Howell and, you know, these guys, yeah. like, you know, it wasn't, like, amazing, right? Um, so, I, I get it. Like, I'm totally – I can understand why, the, you know, and the intrigue. Like, Aaron Rodgers doesn't talk up any rookie wide receiver, Right. Um, it is possible right. that the ayahuasca has opened up his soul and, you know, he's just like a nicer guy now. It's very possible. Like I can totally see that like long lasting <laughs> effect on Aaron Rodgers. Um, but right. like, you know, I, 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 I don't know. Like I'm okay with it. Um, I, I, I wonder like how far Christian Watson's ADP is going to drop now. Like I'm really curious because like, you know, the hype is around Lazard. The hype is around Dubs. So, Hey, listen, I might be. 
I might be taking a couple shots on Christian Watson if he's, if he if he lands if he ends up you know going really late in drafts. But we'll see. Right, so we got mini right, sleeper right there. Next guy. Christian Watson, yeah. Mini mini sleeper right there. <laughs> mini sleeper. Uh, let's go to the next guy I got here, uh, Nico Collins. Um, you know, and I'm going to tie him in with Davis Mills too. I want to talk about both of these guys. Um, Collins has been flashing right. at camp. Um, he apparently has greatly improved his route running, uh, and apparently it's showing. Um, he he said that he studies Keenan Allen all day long, um, but the the Texans need a second option behind Brandon Cooks. Um, and we know that Davis Mills was a good rookie quarterback last year, and he's had a very good camp so far himself. So, like, if Davis takes a step forward, we can potentially see a guy like Collins emerge behind Brandon Cooks, right? And I do expect this team to have to throw a ton. Like, they'll probably be down on, in a lot of games. The defense is not good. Yeah. So some garbage time can benefit these pass catchers from a fantasy perspective, right? Um and, like, Davis Mills himself is also a potential fantasy sleeper, too. Like, once Mills got the starting job back last year in Week 14, among, among rookie quarterbacks for the rest of the season, he was first in completion percentage, first in passing yards per game, first in yards per attempt, first in big-time throw percentage per PFF, first in NFL passer rating, uh, and his touchdown-to-interception ratio was 9-2. Uh, to th- nine to two. Okay, so, like, he's been – he was – Pretty damn good last year at the end of the year. Um, and no other rookie quarterback managed to have four games with 300-plus yards of passing. So he's been looking great in camp. It's very possible. Like, we see a step forward in him. Uh, he's not going to give you rushing numbers, but, you know, he can give you some three-touchdown games, passing touchdown games here and there. I can see it. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's, like, right. a solid QB2 in super flex leagues. Uh, he's going off the board as one of like the last quarterbacks. Uh, but if I'm a super flex league and like you know I kind of have to wait on my second quarterback, you know, to get like you know a couple of these elite running backs or wide receivers, I might be able to grab Davis Mills and be okay at my QB two spot. Right, uh, I'm with you. And the other thing that you know, he Davis Mills, he really connected with Brandon Cooks when he came back at the end of the season last year. Yes, and. He actually had a connection with him even before that. He seems to like throwing to Brandon Cooks, and that's also good yes. news for Brandon Cooks. And I think that, you know, this might be a situation where, you know, here's Brandon Cooks. He might actually be able to kind of break out of his underrated label, you know, and just show up and be good. So I don't want to say that Brandon Cooks is a sleeper of any kind. But I think that, you know, this is the most promising situation I think I'm seeing Brandon Cooks in, in recent memory. When Davis Mills was the quarterback early on in the season, like Brandon Cooks was averaging like like twenty five fantasy points per game or something crazy, like the first four or five games. Right. Uh, so he was doing his thing. Yeah. Um. So like I w- I wouldn't be surprised if Cooks like continues to to kill it. You know, as soon as the season starts. Right. And then having Brandon Cooks just to lean on, you know, and it'll help Davis Mills a ton, and really open things up. And you know, Davis Mills and Nico Collins are both pretty much you know they can lean on. Brandon Cooks to help them out with their production because you know Brandon Cooks will be drawing coverage Nico Collins will be able to get open Davis Mills can rely and have a security blanket in um Brandon Cooks you know it's it's all hand in hand it's just perfect you know what I'm saying yep yep I hear I hear you there did you have anybody else or should I go straight to my last one yeah let's hear your last one all right Rondell Moore He's going off the board between the 10th and 12th round. So, you know, a little bit earlier than these other guys. Uh, But if I'm in a full PPR league, he's definitely in consideration of that spot. Um, 
you know, at, at the spot that he's going between the 10th and 12th, 10th and 12th round. I think I just drafted him in the league uh, in the 12th round. So, in, and that was a 12-team league. So, I was happy with that. Um, but I think with Christian Kirk right. out of the way in Arizona, I think Moore is going to be the full-time slot receiver. I think it'll be Hollywood and DeAndre Hopkins on the outside when Hop is back from his six-game suspension, uh, which, by the way, will have nothing to do with how much we see more on the field because these guys play a ton of three- and four-wide receiver sets more than any team in the league. So Moore is going to be targeted right. you know, a ton like while Hop is out. Like I, I don't see any doubt about that. Um, but I can see him continuing to get targets even with all the other guys there. Like It's still very possible that they decide to continue to use him a ton, even with Zacherts there, even with Hollywood there, even with Hopkins there, because you know they're going to be leaning towards the pass game. You know, uh, you know, with with this offense now, the coaches are raving about him this year, uh, and even last year, like when he was on the field, he was used a ton. And I talked about more before in this podcast when we talked about the guys who could surprise. Um, but just to review what we talked about. He was, he was used at the seventh highest rate in the league in terms of percentage of snaps uh, with a carry or a target. So that's 19%, 19.6% of his snaps last year. Uh, the other names that were on this list were Antonio Brown, Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, and Deontay Johnson. Okay, that's good company right there. Uh, and the coaches are talking about right. opening up his route tree so that he's not just like targeted like you know one yard down the field or like just in the flat. Uh, hopefully he'll be able to run routes similar to what we saw out of Christian Kirk last year. So I'm excited about that as well. So by the way, still even if he does open up his route tree, only taking him in full PPR leagues, I think that's he's going to be a volume guy. So I think that's where right. I would restrict him to the type of format. Even in half PPR leagues, I'll probably you know. I probably choose other guys around his price. Yeah, right. And talking about you know him being a volume guy, you know you kind of get flashbacks to that game against Seattle last year where he had eleven targets and eleven catches, but only fifty-one yards. It's just <laughs> no touchdown. <laughs> it's just like that's what you really want to avoid, you know. But um, I think that he has the talent. I think he's just you know kind of been buried on the depth chart because the Cardinals have a really they just have a stacked wide receiver room right now. I mean, obviously DeAndre Hopkins isn't going to be there to start the year. So I think that's where Rondell Moore is going to kind of have to, you know, put in work and carve out a little a little niche for himself in that offense. I think if he can do that and just, you know, you know, just make a name for himself, make make a role for himself in the offense, he can just continue that even once DeAndre Hopkins comes back. Um, I'm not saying DeAndre Hopkins is going to bump him out completely of the equation, but now with Marquise Brown there, you're really going to have to start thinking, okay. Is he going to be able to get enough targets to be relevant if Zach Ertz is there, who we know is hyper-targeted? If DeAndre Hopkins is going to be there? If Marquise Brown's going to be there? Um, I don't, and even James Conner, you know? I don't think he's going to have trouble to start. I think it'll be dip, more difficult for him to get those looks as time goes on, but I think absolutely. I mean, where he's going in drafts right now, great pick. All right, sounds good. All right, guys, listen, uh, thank you so much for listening to the episode. Um, we really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. If you want to uh, subscribe to the podcast, if you haven't already, that would be amazing. If you want to review it, that would be amazing as well. It only takes a couple seconds. Uh, we would really appreciate that. Thank you so much. We'll see you guys next time. We'll see you. We'll have another episode out on Tuesday. We'll see you guys there. Until then, take it easy. See ya.